This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you this morning? Good, Wally. How are you? I'm doing great and uh, big, big show today. I just want to give our listeners an idea. Uh, obviously a tribute to the Winter Olympics. So, uh, uh, Elizabeth Manley, Canada's sweetheart from the 1988 uh, Calgary Olympics, uh, coming up to 30-year celebration of that incredible performance in the long program at Calgary. We're going to chat with her just after the first break. Excited about that, and it just keeps getting better and better. In the middle of the hour, Canada's voted Canada's greatest female athlete of the 20th century. Wow. Senator Nancy Green Rain. Certainly looking forward to chatting with her. 50th anniversary this week of that uh, great, great giant slalom run at, uh, at the Grenoble Olympics. And going to talk to Senator uh, Nancy Green-Rain about uh, her incredible career as a skier and also her incredible career in the Senate of Canada. She's doing some remarkable work there and certainly going to take the opportunity of discussing some of her initiatives in the Senate. And... At the bottom of the hour, the incomparable Peter Mansbridge. Great show, Ned. Certainly looking forward to it. Uh, and as we get into it, um, uh, for those of you uh, live uh, watching us on www.zoomerradio.ca, you'll notice that Naz this morning is wearing his Toronto Argos cap. And I know why you're wearing your Toronto Argos cap, Naz, and it's the same reason I brought, uh, I brought this into the studio this morning. It's a great picture of Leo the Lip Cahill, who uh, who passed away. And we've, we've got just a few minutes to chat about Leo. And um, and we will chat a little. We're going to do a little more of a tribute show for Leo next Sunday. He certainly brings back incredible memories of a great era in Toronto Argonaut football history. And uh, got the opportunity to call Joe Theismann yesterday. Uh, Joe's been a frequent uh, guest on our show. And... Um, I called him yesterday afternoon, um, and he saw my number and uh, picked up the phone. He was actually golfing at the time. And I said, Joe, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm golfing. He says, Joe, why'd you answer the call? And Joe said, because I knew, you, I knew, I knew why you were calling, Walter. Uh, you were calling because you wanted to chat about Leo Cahill. Uh, and I told Joe, I says, look, we, do, we don't have the time. Fortunately, we don't have the time for it in the show tomorrow, but uh, we will make every effort to talk to Joe Theismann. And this is what Joe wanted to relay to the fans of Toronto, uh, the Argo fans. Number one, thoughts and prayers to the Cahill family. Um, And the highest respect for Leo Cahill, um, uh, in the words of Joe Theismann, one of the most important people in his life. It's the reason he came to Toronto. 
incredibly fond memories of his time with the Toronto Argonauts and just said that Leo was the character amongst a group of characters that, of course, was the 71 Argos, the uh, team that we've immortalized on this show. Uh, but, Naz, you're wearing a Leo Cahill, uh, sorry, Toronto Argo cap, obviously, out of respect for Leo, so I'll turn it over to you yeah, and your to thoughts. Me, to me, he's Mr. Argo of all time, Leo Cahill. That's how important he was to the Argonauts. And he's going to go down as the most popular Argonaut figure ever, for sure. Leo was Leo was Leo. Let me tell you, Leo was Leo. I don't I don't know if there's a better way of putting that. That's uh, uh, certainly a poignant way of putting it. Naz, uh, we forget his tremendous accomplishments as a marketing recruiter. Uh, it was a, it was certainly an interesting time in the history of the Canadian Football League. It was a time when we were the Canadian Football League was able to attract. Uh, let's say, top American talent, because the pay scales were relatively similar in those days. And just think of some of the talent that Leo Cahill brought to Toronto. Of course, it was Jim Corrigal, who was a Canadian, but drafted uh, in the NFL. Of course, the, the signing of Joe Theismann and, and uh, Leo. Joe will tell you, Leo hounded him all over North America to yeah. get, him, get him signed. There's Tim Anderson, who was a great uh, defensive back with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Gene Jim Stillwagon, who rest his soul because he just passed away. Last week, yeah. Um, just, um, uh, you know, he uh, Leo had a way. He certainly had a way. And uh, we'll talk We'll talk more about Leo Cahill. We're going to do a tribute show uh, for Leo Cahill next Sunday. We've got to get on with today's show. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back with Canada's sweetheart, Elizabeth Manley. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville announced that you can get a three-topping party pizza with 24 slices for just $24. It's perfect for large groups on a budget, like staff meetings, sports teams, or special ops units. Go, 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 go! Everybody down! So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. 
They're not here to be nice. They're here to be right. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. If you're listening in downtown Toronto, 96.7 FM. Live streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, Elizabeth Manley. Good morning, Elizabeth. How are you this morning? I'm great. Good morning to both of you. Oh, thanks so much for joining us, Elizabeth. Uh, no problem. We, we really appreciate it. Uh, you and I met at the Con Smythe dinner a few weeks back in support of Easter Seals and for our listeners. At that dinner, um, you were interviewed. Uh, it's part of the, it's part of the festivities in the dinner, and I listened to your story that night, uh, Elizabeth, and I'm truly inspired by your journey. And Thank you. We we certainly want to share some of that with our listeners this morning. February twenty seventh, nineteen eighty eight. It's coming up the thirty year anniversary. Yeah, it's hard to believe I was only five years old when I went to <laughs> <laughs> Of course, uh, you are, of course, on Zoomer Radio this morning, Elizabeth. <laughs> so most of our listeners, uh, in fact, uh, I'd probably say 99.9% of our listeners actually were around to see you that night. Uh, uh-huh. and, and, and whenever I interview a guest, certainly, uh, I, 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 I always take, if they have a, a really great performance, I take the opportunity to go, you know, YouTube's such an incredible invention. Uh, I, I certainly took the opportunity to go back and watch that incredible performance in Calgary. Uh, it's almost 30 years ago. Um, uh, tell us, uh, you almost didn't make it. Well, yeah, that, that, that was the story I actually was uh, speaking about at the Con Smythe Awards. But, you know, a, a lot of I guess you want to say fans or Canadians, they, you know, they don't get the opportunity to find out really what's going on behind the scenes. You know, they see these great performances and, you know, they see their athletes competing, but so much more can be going on behind the scenes. And I was actually very, very sick at the Olympics. And um, not only, you know, adding that to kind of an emotional career with my ups and downs and, you know, people feeling, you know, didn't have the confidence in me to win a medal, but, um, the whole mental health issues um, that surrounded my my journey as an Olympian. But um, when I was at the Olympics, I got the flu. And, you know, of course, you can imagine when I heard about this flu in Korea, <laughs> the, the hair on the back of my neck stood up because I thought, oh, no, because there was quite a few athletes in Calgary that were really suffering from the flu as well. And the American girl, Karen Kadavy, she actually withdrew before the short program. She was so sick. And... Um, I had gotten the flu, and after the opening ceremonies, we had 10 days before we even competed, and my coach felt the best thing to do was to fly me back home to Ottawa and spend those 10 days in my own bed, making my own food, trying to get healthier, because I, you know, had this flu so bad, and what we thought was going to turn out to be, you know, a success in getting me feeling better, actually, I just progressively got worse, because there's nothing you can take. An athlete is is incapable of taking anything for any kind of bug or cold or anything with a drug testing system. And by the time I got back to Calgary, I had progressively gotten worse. And after the short program, my fever had spiked almost to 104, 105, and um, I was just really in bad shape. Um, I, w- I had a, a slight case of pneumonia. I was really under the weather. I had blown an eardrum on the on the flight out. 
And there was a decision being made after the short program whether I was going to be healthy enough to continue the Olympics. And I recall having the day off the next day before the free program, and I asked for my day off to see if by the time we actually physically competed the free program, I would, I would feel up to it and be able to do it. And they gave me that permission, and the story really kind of goes down to the practice session the next day. Um, and I make a joke, it was every girl's dream, the entire hockey team walked in to watch me practice. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and I remember looking at my coach going, why is there hockey players at my practice? And I had a, a moment after I got off the practice, we were 10 minutes from making the decision whether I was going to be strong enough to compete the next night. Um, I ran into Dave King, who is the hockey coach for the team. I didn't know him from Adam. And I walked right up to him and I said, you know, I really appreciate you coming out to support me on my Olympic practice, but I've got to ask you why you were here. And he said, you know, the team's waiting for me on the bus. I've only got a minute. He said, but I just want you to know that we're playing Russia tonight. And we were practicing next door at the corral. And I felt the best thing I could do for my team at this point is to bring them off, get them off the ice, bring them over and watch a real champion. And I remember the, the, the look in my face being called a champion uh, I, I was stunned, and he said, good luck tomorrow, and thanks for inspiring my team. And he walked away, and I, I can't even tell you, that changed the entire journey of Elizabeth Manley, that moment, and hearing a complete stranger say those words to me at such a, 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 a precise moment that I needed to hear something like that, I changed my mind. And um, that was it. I was competing, and 24 hours later, I had the silver medal around my neck. Elizabeth, bring us back to the uh, crowd that day in Calgary and how important it was. The, the, the crowd in the Olympics? Yes, it, watching you skate. And how much did that inspire your performance? Oh, it was incredible to have a Canadian athlete, um, well, not only to be... Sorry, I'm sorry, there was a little uh, tick in the line there. Okay. Um, to be skating not only in Canada, but in my home country, was every athlete's dream. It was everything that you can imagine, and it, I think I truly can say it was what got me through the night. It was knowing when I stepped on that ice and having thousands and millions of people supporting me and having that faith in me, that's what carried me through it. Uh, we're talking to Elizabeth Manley. Elizabeth, uh that particular evening, um, the whole uh, the whole world's attention was maybe not Canada's attention, but the whole world's attention was on the battle between Katarina Witt and uh, Debbie Thomas, and it was what they called the Battle of the Carmens. Of course, Carmen is a reference to the uh, to the music they were playing, and and what uh, and you ended up winning the silver medal. But that particular evening. You won the long program. You were yes. the best skater in the world <laughs> under the most intense conditions that particular evening. And but for, uh, I mean, I've read the algorithm, mathematical permutations of what happened that night. You yeah. came, you came really, really close to winning the gold medal. Yeah, but I actually, for, but for I the lost by one tenth of a mark. One tenth of a mark, and that had something to do with a Japanese skater. I think it was Midori Ito, correct? Who uh, 
if she had a finished second on a couple of other scorecards or something, mm-hmm. you would have won the gold medal. Well, you know, it could have been a combination of both. You can imagine after 30 years, I've dissected it quite well. <laughs> um, but Midori Ito was spectacular. Um, she was a free skater. Her, her weakness was in the compulsory figures. So she was, you know, I think she was something way down, like 14th or 15th after the compulsory figures. But as far as free skating, um, she was kind of like the Tanya Harding of the generation. She was a jumper. She could just throw those jumps, and she was, we used to call her a monster because she was so spectacular at the jumps. And she, in reality, um, you know, I'm not even afraid to say this. I mean, I kind of look at it and go, she could have even beaten me. She skated that well that night. If she had have come second in that free program, there wasn't a question. I would have won the gold. But then there's the group of individuals that say, yes, but in my own personal scoring, if even one of the judges had to give me a point one extra on one of the marks, um, that still would have been enough to, to vault me into gold. But, you know, it, it's all kind of water under the bridge at this point. And um, as much as I would have loved the gold, uh, it, for me, it was just skating the way I did. It was having the country jump to their feet and celebrate for me it was a gold in in all those respects and and i have no regrets and i'm you know i don't cry myself to sleep every (laughs) night and go i should have won gold you know um but it's just having done what i did under the circumstances of not only being sick but you know for years of being looked at as having depression and you know possibly you know, a mental health issue and, and people being very negative with the stigma in those days. Um, for my family, it was a gold medal. It really was. And I have no regrets. And it, yeah, it, it certainly would be wonderful to be sitting here this morning talking to you with that gold medal around <laughs> my neck. But, you know, um, it, it was everything I could have ever dreamed of, dreamed for. And the moment that I drove through the street to get back to the village after that night and I saw the entire country out in the streets screaming my name with Canada flags and everything. Because you remember in Calgary, we only had four medals in the entire games. Yeah, that's right. And, um, and I was the last event of the games. It, just to bring that country to their feet and celebrate again, that you can't, you can't put a medal on that. That is just so much more. Elis- I feel like I'm telling you a MasterCard commercial <laughs> <here>. <laughs> Elizabeth Manley, listen, Elizabeth, um, you may not have won the gold medal that night, but you've won a gold medal in, in, more, in more ways than one. Uh, and, and we talked about your journey, and you haven't shied away from talking about mental health issues. You haven't shied away from talking about your personal struggles, and, and that's where, you know, you, you really are an inspiration. You really are. And that's, and that's your gold medal, and that's, and that's... But tell us, after Calgary, you wanted to get your story out, and you yeah. still do, and... and uh, you tell you know you did suffer from depression mental health i think you still struggle with that Mm -hmm. um yep and i'm not afraid to speak about it and i'm not afraid to still say i have my you know my gray days and my ups and downs but you know after calgary um you know it, it it was really a lot of my triumph i mean when i went through my depression it was diagnosed as as clinically having depression as well as a um, a complete mental breakdown, and I lost all my hair. I gained uh, water retention. Um, I was in and out of doctors for about six months trying to figure out what was happening to me. And I remember 
coming back, I reached out for the help that was offered to me. And in those days, you can imagine, in, in, you know, this was in, 80, in 83, 1983, there, there wasn't a lot of availability for people um, to get help. And, you know, the stigma of, of mental health in those days was probably at its highest. Um, you know, people envision padded rooms and, you know, oh, they've got a problem and you want to stay away from them. And I struggled really hard with that because a lot of the people I felt in, in, in my life, in my journey as an athlete, disappeared. And, you know, I look back at it and it's not the fact that they didn't want to be bothered with me anymore. They just didn't understand it and they didn't know how to handle it or, or be able to talk to me. And, and as an adult now, I can look back and understand that. But... I remember after the Olympics, I wanted so desperately to get my story out there so there wouldn't be another little girl or another, you know, adult or child that was suffering from something that could actually get the help. Um, I was the poster child. I, I was a success story of getting the help and then being successful and achieving everything that I had a passion for. And I remember when I wrote the book, um, it was... It was pulled apart, uh, my entire story, uh, because I remember the authors and the, and the publishing company said, oh, no, that's just a little too severe. We don't want to get that out there. And, you know, I was young, and I was like, okay, I understand. So it was very cut down, the version of what happened to me. And I remember my father saying to me at the time, like, why do you want to talk about this? Like, you know, this is not something you want to talk about. And I remember looking at my father, and I said, you're an example I said, you're asking me, why do I want to talk about this? I said, Dad, if it helps one person, then that's all that matters to me. And then he got it. He understood it. But Canada wasn't, I shouldn't say Canada, maybe the world wasn't ready to have Canada's sweetheart in the same sentence as depression, mental health. And, um, you know, it, people just didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to put me in that same category. So it was really brushed under the carpet. And I found myself for many years kind of just shutting down and not talking about the story. You know, I would go to schools and I would, you know, inspire kids and things like that. But, you know, it was a subject in the 80s that people just weren't ready to talk about or hear. And they just wanted to have this image of Elizabeth Manley and this white cowboy hat and the great success and everything. But when I tried to tell about the real story behind it, people weren't ready. And it, so, you know, it got brushed on the carpet for many, many years, and then suddenly you started seeing more people coming out with it. And, um, you know, the, 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 especially in the athletic world, you know, and I found myself being able to finally talk about it. And, and it's interesting. It's very therapeutic for me, you know, to be able to just talk about it. And I'm just blessed that I'm in a, in a time in my life right now where I can talk about it and people don't run out of the room and they listen and they get inspired and they understand and they don't feel alone. And that's what's so important for me. So important for me to let people know that someone like Elizabeth Manley suffers too. And it's okay. You can live a fulfilled life. You just have to learn how to live with it. And that's, that's really what my story is about. And I, it's my, my passion you know, to be able to work with individuals and organizations and groups and tell my story and hope that in some way it can, whether it helps one person or a hundred people, um, that's, that's the importance of it. It's, it's talking. It's, it's we're, we're talking now. You know, you look at Bell Let's Talk and all these organizations, it's fantastic because we're finally exposing it and we're getting the world to understand it's okay. Elizabeth, uh, we'd love to chat with you for a lot 
lot longer. Uh, but uh, we've got, unfortunately, we've got to get on with the show. We've well, got Senate. We've got Senate. Say hi to Nancy for me. Uh, I certainly will. And we've got Peter Mansbridge coming on. Listen, uh, your journey is an inspiring one. Uh, Thank you're doing you. fantastic work. Uh, just the opportunity to interview you has brought back some incredible uh, memories for Naz and I. It got me the opportunity to watch your incredible Calgary performance. Thank I you. fell in love with you that night in 1988. Many Canadians did. And, and all of Canada fell in love with you, and all of Canada still loves you. And you. you're doing some incredible work in, in, uh, in, in, in spreading the message of your struggles. That and, means a lot to me. It really does. And I really appreciate coming on air with you this morning. We, and we hope at some point point to uh, to get you back thanks so much elizabeth. absolutely happy family day to everyone S- same to you uh the uh elizabeth manley uh what a well i don't know can you say that in today's world can i call her a sweetheart yeah, uh, am i gonna get criticized so. for political incorrectness i don't know she's a sweetheart she and has to be congratulated for coming out with depression she was one of the first athletes to do that yeah and people don't realize it's courageous how long, yeah very courageous it really is unfortunately we got to we got to keep moving along we got to go to break and during the break we'll get a hold of senator nancy green rain it was a rainy day when pizzaville announced that you can get a three topping party pizza with 24 slices for just 24 dollars It's perfect for large groups on a budget, like staff meetings, sports teams, or special ops units. So before you break down any doors, get a three-topping party pizza with 24 square slices for just $24. Call Pizzaville on your cell phone at pound 3636. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. We're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour this morning, Senator Nancy Green-Rain. Good morning, Senator. How are you this morning? 
Good morning. Just great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, just so you're aware, we just we just talked to Elizabeth Manley, and she insisted that we say that we pass on her regards to you. So, from Elizabeth Manley, uh, she also wants to say good morning to you, Senator. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Anyways, it's uh, February fifteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. Uh, the Senate of Canada this week uh, published a note on their website. Of course, it was 50 years ago uh, this week of your incomparable run at the Grenoble Olympics, uh, where you won the giant slalom, the gold medal. Uh, Senator, uh, when you woke up the other morning, and it was the 50th anniversary, um, any special thoughts of that particular day, any special meaning uh, that of that particular day, what can you tell us about what you remember, what sticks out in your mind from that particular day 50 years ago? Well, you know, you're always asked about it, so the memory's been sort of replayed many, many times. But um, you still remember, I think, uh, the most um, strongest memory is the emotions that you felt. And the emotions that I felt when I won and then the emotions that I felt on the on the podium, and it's really amazing. And uh, talking about that day from fifty years ago, of course, prior to that, um, you had uh, you had won a couple of uh, world ski titles in the two in the two previous years, a couple of Lou Marsh trophies. Uh, you, of course, uh, later on voted as Canada's greatest female athlete of the twentieth century. Just some incredible honors. Uh, and, of course, another huge honor was uh, you were the flag bearer uh, for the Canadian team at the Grenoble Olympics. Um, and we talked to Steve Podborski last Sunday about, you know, walking into an Olympic stadium behind the Canadian flag. Uh, you actually were at a different level. You walked in with the flag. Um, I can't even imagine what that must feel like, but if you have any ability to put that into words, uh, how would you share that with our listeners? Oh, no, it was, it was amazing. It was really exciting. But for me, the, to look up and see the Canadian flag, because it was the first time that the Maple Leaf flag had been walked into the stadium, that was, that was so powerful because it was our own flag, and we weren't carrying the red ensign with the Union Jack on it. We were carrying the I was carrying the Canadian flag, and the the crowd was really responsive to that because um, most of them had never seen that flag before. So it was a uh, it was it was really special. And you know you walk around, then you walk up, and you're above the rest of the athletes because we were on the steps, sort of leading up to where they where they lit the the torch, and so that was really really neat too because when the 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 flame came in. It came very close to where I was. Senator, you uh, had a gold and a silver medal that that year in the Olympics, and the bronze medal was won by the Canadian hockey team, ice hockey team. Those were the only three medals of that uh, Olympics. How did yeah. it feel winning the gold? And you were so close to winning the gold in the second one. How did you feel? Well, well, the the, the slalom came first. I mean, I had, um, I had come 10th in the downhill, and I was really disappointed because I was one of the favorites, and it was the event that I liked the best. And um, so, you know, we made mistakes, so I was really upset. And then I won the slalom, and, or the, the silver in the slalom, and 
the slalom is always a a bit of a gamble because things can go wrong in slalom. And so I was fairly happy with the with the silver. And then, of course, when I won the gold, I mean, I always tell people a gold medal is a million times better than a silver. <laughs> I mean, you are happy with any medal. And I mean, anybody can see when you watch the Olympics that any Olympian, uh, just making the team is something to be so proud of. And any medal is great. But when when you've been, your goal has always been to win the Olympics when you actually do it. It's a different feeling than, than getting the silver. We're talking to Senator Nancy Green Rain. Now, I do want to go back just uh, one last time to that race uh, in Grenoble and um, um, having having the ability to uh, research uh, uh, a little bit before this interview. It reminded me of what an incredibly dominating performance that was by you that particular day. Um, in fact, the, the performance was so dominating, you, you obliterated... Uh, uh, in, in a nice way, the field in terms of time. Uh, you won the race by a margin that historically is one of the largest margins ever in an Olympic ski race. I think it was like two and a half seconds or whatever. In fact, your margin was so dominating that it caused some difficulty with the clock so that when you, when you actually finished the race, um, the time hadn't actually been posted yet because of some glitch that uh, the people at the clock company had to double-check. Uh, how long did it take for you to realize that you had won the gold medal? Yeah, well, that was... Um, it wasn't... The, it was nothing to do with the timing. It was to do with the posting of the timing on the board, on the scoreboard. And so they had a range that they said if the time is in that range, it would immediately... Um, the, the time... There was a running time on the board. And so when the, when the time was running... And you went through the finish; it would just freeze on the scoreboard. But if the time was didn't seem reasonable, there was a failsafe, and they wouldn't post the time until they double checked. And it, w- it probably only took half a second at the most, but it seemed like an eternity <laughs> because I spun around and looked at the board, and my time wasn't there. And you know, when you when you go up through the ranks in ski racing. Sometimes they miss your time, and you have to go back and do it again. And that was the instant reaction I had. Oh, no, you know, because I knew I'd had a good run. And then all the lights on the scoreboard started to change as my time went up to the top where, where it was um, displayed. And then um, the placings on the board changed. And so I went to the top of the board, and all, everything else went to the bottom. And I'm standing there looking at all the lights changing, and it still isn't cluing into me. And then I see 09, and it still didn't clue in. And then I saw CAN for Canada right at the top of the board, and I knew that I'd won. And that was a feeling and a feeling of, of relief, really. And it was kind of funny because yesterday we were watching something on the, on the Olympics, and one of the athletes, when they said, what was your, what was your emotion when you, when you realized you had won? And they also said relief, and I think that's that's um, you know because you put so much into it, and then when you've when you've won it, it's uh, it's a big relief. And Senator Nancy Green Rain, Senator, there's a gentleman south of the border whose first name is Eldrick, uh, but in in my mind, you will always be you will always be Tiger, and that was your nickname. Uh, how did that come about? <laughs> 
Well, that's kind of funny because I didn't really have a nickname. I've never had a nickname. But um, we were we were writing. Um, we we all got new helmets that year on the national team, and we had a commercial artist on the team. So he painted red maple leaves on the front of the helmets, and then our nicknames on the side and the logo of some kind on the back, just to decorate the helmets. And mine was, you know, he kept saying, what do you want me to put in your helmet, Nancy? And I couldn't think what to put. And finally, I was the last one. He said, come on, you got to do something. And he said, oh, I can't remember whether he said it or I suddenly thought it, that every once in a while, my coach would say, go get him, Tiger. And so I said, put Tiger on the side. And then Esso had a campaign at the time, put a tiger in your tank. Yeah. So we used that little tiger logo from Esso and put that on the back. But after that, of course, all the media called me Tiger. Uh, uh, Senator, earlier this year, I mean, you were obviously immortalized as Canada's greatest female athlete of the 20th century. It, it's an absolutely remarkable accomplishment. But another incredible accomplishment this year, uh, Senator Green Rain, you got your own stamp. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. Uh, tell us, uh, tell us how you heard about that, and uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that honor. Well, that's a that that was a, a huge honor, and I'm one of five, and it was, I think, the nicest part of the honor was meeting and getting to know all the other five athletes because I didn't know them all. I knew some of them, but not all of them. But um, it was an honor, and and they. It takes a long time. I mean, I knew about that last summer because they have to pull together and do a lot of thought about it. And the artist that's that's doing them has to get all the background information and decide what they want to do. So, you know, it's, so I'd, I'd known for quite a while. But uh, when, it, when it came out, I mean, it, it really is uh, an honor and it's very, very special. It's a beautiful series of stamps. So it's great. Senator, everybody I talk to remembers a certain commercial, the <laughs> Mars commercial. And I have to say this to you right now, that I tried my first Mars bar because of you and being in that commercial. Did you have fun with it? Yeah, I didn't realize you were that old. <laughs> <laughs> We've been around. Hey, We've been around, let me Sen tell you. S Senator Green Rain, this is Zoomer Radio, <laughs> and uh, so uh, we're a couple old-timers here, but uh, uh, certainly we, we're, we're old enough to remember those Mars Bar, and my co-host here, Naz, uh, says uh, that's, that's how he acquired his love for chocolate. A little bit of humor, but uh, uh, tell us that story. No, you know, um, I was very... After the Olympics, I finished out the season and I won. I went on a winning streak for about five or six weeks where I won pretty much every race, downhill slalom and giant slalom, and I won the second World Cup by a big margin. But I was standing in the finish gate in Sun Valley waiting for a young American to come down who had a hot halfway time and thinking to myself, you know, not much fun. It's not much fun to be the one they're, they're, they're targeting. More fun to get there. And so without much preparation, the next time somebody asked, what are you going to do next year? I sort of blurted out, well, I, I've decided I'm going to retire. And then it was a real, um, there was no, no real plan. But I got some great help from people in Toronto, friends of mine, that set me up with some advisors. And, and then we interviewed and got a manager and then went through all the different offers. And one of the offers was from Mars to do some commercials and I was at first not all that keen because I thought well you know why do I 
Yeah, I had I had eaten Mars, but I <laughs> it wasn't on the the top of my choices. But once I met the people, they were just great, and we did some commercials. And what I didn't realize was Mars had not entered the Canadian market, so they were there was no awareness of Mars at all. And because of the commercials that I did, the awareness became. And, and they did a great job on the selling, the sales. They they called on every candy store in the country in this, as soon as the Mars commercial started running. And we did a commercial that, um, because I said, I need an excuse to endorse Mars. And so I convinced them that if people would send in their wrappers, every wrapper sent in, Mars would contribute a penny to the National Ski Team Fund. Wow. So that's 10% of the cost of the candy in those days. So it was, it was a... It was great. So um, that's what we did, and that was the story. Um, at, you know, save your wrappers, send them in, and the national ski team will benefit. And people went into the stores asking for Mars bars, and they got the shelf space, and they went quickly to the top three in the country. And, you know, it was amazing. So it had an impact on people, for sure. And I still have a great relationship with them, so it's nice. We're talking to Senator Nancy Greenrein. Senator... Uh, um we have to let you go, but we'd be remiss and we, and if we didn't talk about uh, some of the incredible work that you're doing in the Senate. Um, so we, we want to chat the last, the last few minutes about that. You're, doing, you're a passionate advocate for health and fitness in the Senate. You've introduced legislation to prohibit the marketing of unhealthy food and beverages. Uh, you're a key role in the creation of comprehensive uh, 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 report on the rising rate of obesity, and you're a key person sponsoring a bill for National Health and Fitness Day the first Saturday in June. Uh, some tremendous work you're doing, Nancy. Uh, sorry, Senator Nancy Greenrain. Um, uh, tell us very, very briefly a little bit about your great work. Well, I, the bill on National Health and Fitness Day uh, passed about five years ago. And so we've been working on that, and there are over 300 municipalities and towns across Canada that now celebrate National Health and Fitness Day on the, the first Saturday in June. And that will, that's an ongoing legacy that I will have. And um, it's, it's up to the municipalities to get involved, and they do it in many different ways. Um, but right now, the bill that I have going through the Senate is maybe even more important, and that's the legislation to prohibit the marketing of junk food to kids. And it came about as a result of us um, studying the rising rates of obesity in Canada, especially in children. And there's no silver bullet. A lot of things have to change. But certainly, when manufacturers target market children, that has an impact because those kids then get into the, the you know, they get um, habituated, almost addicted to sugar, which we are beginning to realize is a real culprit in unhealthy diets. So um, that's going through, and it's just past second reading. It'll be going to the, uh, the health committee in the House of Commons. Then it'll come back, and I'm hoping to see that go through by the time um, the Senate rises in June, or the House of Commons rises in June. Uh, we've been talking to Senator Nancy Greenrain. Senator, uh, you enchanted us. Uh, uh, certainly uh, during your career, uh, you were a, uh, an icon, a model, uh, and you're still doing some tremendous, tremendous work. We thank you so much 
for honoring us with uh, with uh, being on our show this morning. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me, and um, go Canada, go. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Senator. Thanks. Um, on the line, uh, the incomparable uh, Peter Mansbridge. <laughs> Peter, are you there? I am, boys. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> Thanks so much. Sorry for for uh, sorry for making you hold for a couple of minutes. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> listening to uh, listening to those two, uh, it was a real treat, uh, which I've done for the last uh, forty minutes or so. Two remarkable athletes uh, who have remained remarkable in their post-athletic careers. And, uh, you know, just listening uh, to the senator a few minutes ago describing that moment when she entered the uh, arena carrying the flag the first time that, that, that our Canadian flag, the one we have now, uh, had been on public display in such a fashion at the Olympics. That was that was uh, that was very special. It certainly was, Peter. Before we uh, we've got so much uh, we've got so much we want to talk to you about in so little time. But there's one thing I have to I have to ask you. We've got to get it out like right away. Um, we may have the Winnipeg Jets and the Toronto Maple Leafs in the Stanley Cup final. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> and uh, you know, uh, I'm a little bit concerned, Peter, that you know we're we're homers here in Toronto, and <laughs> we wear the blue and white on this show. Uh, we're a little bit concerned that you're going to be lining up behind the wrong team. So listen, uh, I you know I bleed blue in both cases. <laughs> I've been a Leaf fan since I was a kid, uh, and growing up in Ottawa back in the day before the Senators were. Uh, playing the current uh, version of the Senators. And uh, so you have to choose between red and blue, you know, the Habs or the Leafs, and I chose the Leafs. Uh, and then when I moved out west, I became a Jets fan in the old days, the Bobby Hull days. And so that has uh, carried over as I've got uh, friends and relatives in, in Winnipeg. So I cheer actually for both teams. And uh, you're right, though, I'm not sure what's going to happen when it gets around to the, <laughs> the finals, which would be fantastic, not just for those two cities, but for Canada, if we had an all-Canadian final, uh, that, would be, uh, that, that would be a pretty, uh, pretty special. Uh, Peter, uh, there's little, there's a little contest this week. Uh, the CBC was doing, and uh, uh, they they had to, they had to, uh, they're having a little fun, and they had to put a name to uh, their new Olympic bear. <laughs> and yeah. they came up with, uh, and you won the competition, my friend, Peter Mansbear. Yeah. Uh, must point. have been a lot of Zoomers there. <laughs> must have been a lot of Zoomers voting. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you react to something like that? Well, you know, that's twice in the last two years that I've had an animal, uh, you know, named <laughs> after me. I, uh, I was the voice of, uh, of a moose in the, in the Academy Award-winning, Oscar-winning film, Zootopia. Uh, and that moose was called Peter Moosebridge. So we've now got a moosebridge and a, and a man's bear. Um, so I, I guess I may have retired, but I'm still active, as we can see. Uh, Peter, uh, you certainly are. And uh, once again, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I, I found it interesting. I actually watched, uh, I watched an interview you did on, on the Tim and Sid show. And uh, they, asked you, uh, they asked you a really interesting question, which was, have you ever been starstruck? Uh, at any point 
in your career. And uh, from a sports perspective, there's two there are two particular athletes that uh, that are are important to you in, in different ways. One, of course, was Ronnie Lancaster. Yeah. And the other one was Dick Duff. And uh, uh, obviously, Ronnie Lancaster in the in the conversation is one of the best players ever to have played in the Canadian Football League. Right. Uh, Dick Duff, we actually had on the show here earlier this year, but uh, tell us how you became fans of uh, of Dick Duff and Ron Lancaster, and why you feel starstruck? Well, I was growing two. up in Ottawa. In both cases, you know, Lancaster he played for the Ottawa Rough Riders before he played for the uh, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and it, it was a city divided. You know, you had two quarterbacks: you had Lancaster and you had Russ Jackson. Both two terrific people, both of whom became friends in the in the years that followed. Um, but uh, you know, Lancaster was my choice. Jackson was my dad's choice. I've kidded Russ about this because, you know, we, we literally had a city divided. They had to. They had to trade one of them, so they they sent Ronnie out to Regina for 500 bucks on the promise that he'd never play in the East again. And uh, that's how uh, I, my allegiances moved to uh, Saskatchewan with Lancaster. With Dickie Duff, it was, uh, uh, you know, I was a Leaf fan, and he, number nine, was the guy I decided that I uh, I wanted to cheer for. And uh, and he was kind of fit in with my uh, with my age when I started watching in the late 50s. And he was, uh, you know, a 20-goal-a-season kind of guy. And, uh, you know, was ne- was never a superstar, but was always you know, a clutch guy, and that's one of the reasons he's in the Hall of Fame. You know, six Stanley Cups. What more What more okay, stats yes. do you want? <laughs> he, he was somebody who I uh, cheered for a lot. Peter, you obviously uh, uh, went to and anchored, participated in 12, 13 Olympics. I don't know the exact amount in that range. Um, and the Olympics has come under a lot of criticism over the years, especially recently for doping, for commercialization, uh, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, tell us, in your experience, in your uh, your times at the Olympic Games, what is the importance of the Olympics? What difference does the Olympics make in the world? Well, without taking away from the issues that you brought up, which are the, the kind of the focus of the criticism, those are legitimate issues and have to be dealt with and, uh, and still have not been resolved. Putting those two aside for the moment, the, the, the importance of this, this is one of those few occasions where the world gathers together. And you tr- they try to do that in a sense without politics. And when Nancy Green and Elizabeth Manley talk about entering that stadium with all the other athletes from around the world, that's a special time. And I've always been encouraged by both the opening and the closing ceremony because of that. You see the, the various countries of the world, and in the case of the Summer Games, it's up, you know, it's up near a couple hundred now um, that uh, are at those games. And you, you literally see the world in front of you, and you also know that the world is watching. And it is one of those unique moments where a lot of people around the world, usually in the billions, are watching the same thing. And they're feeling good about the same thing. And that's good. That's a good thing. And you watch these young people who have spent their life getting ready for this moment. Um, And with all the heartache that comes with that, uh, and all the joy that can possibly come from it. 
But, you know, I, I've always been encouraged by that, and I've always seen that as a good thing, uh, in spite of the issues that do exist uh, with the Olympic Games. Peter, you spent many a night uh, waiting for hockey games to end uh, in your <laughs> newscast. What game do you remember the most waiting? Well, you know, it, it wasn't a game that was at night because it was, I was in Winnipeg during the 72 series, uh, Canada-Russia series, and that game still, those games, those eight games still stand out for me as the greatest and most thrilling moments uh, of hockey. I mean, we didn't know what we were getting into. We'd spent our, our, our lives saying if we ever put our best against their best it's going to be no contest and that's the way it looked for the first you know five or six minutes of game one and then after that it was it was it was tough sledding uh but it was incredibly exciting and that last game uh, uh, was the most <laughs> exciting and so that that one you know and that was the middle of the daytime by uh, the time we were, we were watching it here but those games a lot of stanley cup games you know special times that I've seen the greatest players, whether it was Mario Lemieux or Sid Crosby, Wayne Gretzky. I spent last weekend with Gretzky and Messier uh, and uh, the rest of the 85 Oilers who were voted the best team ever in hockey uh, because they'd asked me to come out there and help host uh, the big event in the Edmonton, the new Edmonton Arena. You know, 18,000 people there to watch it. It was amazing. Um, and my favorite all time, you know, aside from Dickie Duff, but when you talk about superstars, to me, one of the, the greatest players who ever lived and one of the greatest people is Bobby Orr. And uh, Bobby and I have become friends over, over the years, and I've been enriched by that, by that friendship, and that's for sure. Uh, Peter, un- unfortunately, we only have a couple of minutes left. We tried to pack in a lot into the show, but it- I do want to ask you, uh, if you can distill uh, out of your remarkable career uh, one or two special Olympic moments, uh, what what would they be? I was in Korea for the 88 Summer Games, but it- it's interesting to look at that. It was the first time that there had been a Games held in Korea. There were a lot of similarities to what's happening today, the tensions between North and South. The difference then was the North boycotted the games. This one, the North's at the games. What happens post-games will be very important. I mean, people were excited after Sochi, thinking things were going to be, you know, not bad in the relationship with the, with the Russians. Uh, within a week after that, they invaded C- Crimea. So <laughs> you never know what's going to happen after these big world events. But the one that I always smile about is I was in uh, Torino in 2006 for the Winter Games. The opening ceremony there included the last public performance by Luciano Pavarotti uh, singing Nessun Dorma from the the, the great aria of uh, Puccini. Now, it later became clear that he'd lip-synced it, but it didn't matter. You know, this was the last time that he was very sick. People knew he was dying. He stood there, and uh, and the power and sound of his voice came through to the same kind of setup that I just finished telling you. Athletes all over the uh, arena floor, stadium filled, people moved to tears. It was, uh, you know, that moment will always live with me. That and Muhammad Ali standing to light the flame in Atlanta in 96. 
those two uh, those two are my uh, my moments greatest games you attended uh, well they're all pretty great in their own way okay. greatest news story games were still korea in 88 with okay. the ben johnson disaster <laughs> you know that uh, you know we're a funny bunch us news guys right i mean yeah. sure we love to see the uh, the excitement of moments like this but uh, when the story uh, a story that catches you by surprise takes your breath away not necessarily from a good point of view that can be really quite overwhelming so that was uh, okay. uh, those were pretty big games we've been talking to peter mansbridge peter you're in you've been in this business you know when the producer uh, sends you the message in the ear that's time to get off the air Unfor- oh, just ignore that I, you know i never went with that just go for it let's go for another hour uh, i would i would absolutely love to so i'll take that I'll, I'll i'll make that an invitation to get you on again at some point when the when the jets and the leafs are in the in the in the stanley cup final uh, promise me you'll come back and t- chat with us i'll do that for sure thank peter you have uh, you've been an important part of so many people's lives in canada for so many years you took the time for us this morning uh we can sincerely just say thank you so much we very much appreciate it hey listen guys i've had a i've had a ball thanks so much for inviting me thanks so much of course the incomparable peter mansbridge naz uh i i gotta sign off unfortunately i normally give you last word but the producer's going to cut me off to all our listeners have a fantastic week This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.